The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. But I remember 10 years ago when I was going through this first phase of just assuming that everything was right, I was still very nervous before you get up to speak because it's always nerve-wracking standing in front of people. And if you've never done that, if you've never tried this, I feel like every person should have the opportunity to preach once, just to see what it feels like to have all of your eyeballs glaring us down. One very well-intentioned lady asked before I got up to preach, how are you feeling? I said, I feel really nervous. And here in church, she said, if God can use a blank to speak to Jacob, I'm sure he can speak through you. I said, I don't know, I could be quite a donkey at times. <laughs> but in a weird way, that was encouraging. So like God, I mean, he speaks through the ridiculous things at times, myself included. Another thing that's been encouraging for me and, and something that's been helpful is every once in a while you'll walk in and Ian Cameron will shake your hand and look you in the eyes and pat you on the back and almost knock you over. And, and he'll say, preach it tonight, brother. And that is an encouraging thing. But possibly even more encouraging than that is Titus chapter 2, verse 15, where Paul with the authority of the Holy Spirit, speaks to Titus, a young preacher. And he says, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. When you're preaching and speaking the word of God, and you're applying the word of God the way that the Bible would have you apply it, then you can speak with authority. And that's encouraging. And that's the goal tonight, to take the food that the chef prepared and to do my best not to mess it up as I deliver it to you. In chapter 1, Paul focused on the structure of the church and the rebuking of false teachers. So in chapter 1, he sets up a fight. I think sometimes we're so quickly to, to embrace manliness as if God's version of manliness is the same type of thing as as what it is to be an alpha wolf in a wolf pack. Right? The alpha wolf is the one who is the strongest, he's the most powerful, he's the smartest, he's the one that, that is in charge. Right? And so he is this, this tough guy who can take anyone down, and when you have a guy like that, you have, you have a man. You have a real man, right? And that is somewhat of the, the picture of what a man is in Western society. You, don't, you watch a Hollywood movie, and they're you know, demonstrating this guy who's supposed to be like this manly, manly guy, he's always got big muscles, he's always carrying a gun, he's always just this super tough guy that can kill anyone, right? That's not manliness. We're told here that we're not supposed to be brawlers, we're not supposed to be looking for a fight. Um, We are not wolves. Manliness, true manliness, is inseparable from godliness. A true man is a godly man. And so if you want to know what it looks like to be a man, what an example we have in Christ. He was accused of false charges. He was humiliated. He was physically attacked and beaten. He was mocked. And at any point, he had the power to win. He had the power to end it. He had the power to have complete victory. 1 Peter 2.23 says, Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again, When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. 
instead of repaying evil for evil, instead of showing his manliness in having this great victory over all those people, he didn't threaten. He suffered willingly. He threatened not. He committed himself to God. I am going to trust that God is a righteous judge, and ultimately, if there's a battle to be fought, he gets to fight it, not me. Not a brawler. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. The sad thing is there's a lot of people that would look to the cross and they would see the way Jesus acted as he went to the cross and they would think that he was being a coward. It's furthest from the truth. He was demonstrating for us what it looks like to be a strong man. A strong man is willing to suffer for other people. A strong man bears others' burdens. A strong man isn't always about their way and what's best for them. So Christ is our ultimate example. He is the quintessential man. But wait, you say. Doesn't Romans 12, 18 says, if it be possible as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men? Isn't that saying that there are times that we really can't live peaceably and we just got to fight? Well, yeah, it is. It is. There are times that you can't live peaceably with all men. But notice what he says there. He says, if it is possible with as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. So if you can get to the point where you say, it's, it's entirely 100% impossible that I have done everything that I can possibly do to live peaceably with all men. If you can get to that point, then you have the right to say, but it's not possible. But I think what happens, I know what happens with me, is at times I pull out this verse and I say, you know what, it's just not possible. I haven't really made the effort. I really haven't, I mean, I've made maybe a step or two, but I haven't really gone as, as much as lies in me. And so that is the call. We look for loopholes maybe too often. I, I don't know if this is a loophole in most of the situations we find ourselves in. He says, instead, we ought to be gentle, to be mild or to be patient. We ought to show meekness. Showing gentleness and humility, meekness is strength under control. And so men, ladies, people should not be afraid of you. They shouldn't be afraid to confront you. They shouldn't be worried that, that you're always looking for a fight. We ought to be gentle people, meek people. People who don't respond immediately with pride. Listen, I'm preaching myself right now. I know that there are times, I mean, I don't, I don't remember many times where somebody attacked me and my first response wasn't self-defense. Honestly. I think that's where we go. i got to defend myself. This isn't true. Look at you. Look at how bad you are. You know, this, that's, that's where we go. And this is calling us to something different. Saying we ought to be gentle, meek people. Not brawlers. Not looking for a fight. Responding with control. Verse number three. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. 
He says, we were foolish. Not, that's not intellectually incapacitated. We, we weren't intellectually slow people. We were foolish because we once lived as though there was no God. Romans chapter 1, verse 22 says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Why did they become fools? Because they suppressed the knowledge of God in their lives. And so fools are those who, who act and live as though there's no God. And he says, we were once that way. We were once foolish, but now we must have different minds. Our minds should be ready for good works. Our minds should be different. We should be sober and ready to live with the knowledge of the Holy One. The knowledge that someday we will stand before Him. We were once disobedient and deceived. We were anti-authority, anti-law. Now we voluntarily submit ourselves to the laws of the land and the people who hold offices of authority. That's the difference that's supposed to be evident in the believer's life. Once disobedient, once deceived, now submitting, willingly, obeying. In our land, in our homes, in our churches, in schools, at work. I mean, all of these things are, are talked about throughout the Bible. God has given authority structures in so many different places, and we think it's just all of you know our prerogative to circumvent that authority whenever we see fit. It's not. Okay, we must be living under the authority. You know, we served a variety of different lusts and pleasures. It was all about us. It was all about what we felt like at the time, what we wanted. And now we are to be ready to do every good work. See the difference? Before it was all about me, and now my, my focus, my attention is on others and their needs so that I can be ready to meet them when I'm given the opportunity. It's not about me anymore. It's all about well, serving Christ and serving others. We were malicious and envious, hateful and hating one another. We lived for one person. We lived for ourselves. If you made me angry, I respond in kind. I want your stuff. I want your talents. I want your abilities. I want your life. I'm envious. This is who we once were. We were hating one another. Now, we are to speak evil of no man. To not fight, to not be contentious, to be gentle, to be humble, to be meek, to be patient. So much different. Such a huge difference between who we once were and who we are. And so Paul is now explaining to us what it looks like to live out the Christian life in a very difficult society. I, I'm not going to take the time to, but I, I can't overemphasize that Crete was a more sinful culture than what we see now. They were a sinful place. It wasn't easy. It wasn't like they had it all, like, hey, it's no worries. This, this is a Christian society, and so basically what's going on outside the church is the same as in. Maybe at times, if we got to a great place as a church, we could come here and we could start realistically seeing, living out the Christian faith among one another. If we could just stay in this bubble and really work on, on one another, the truth is, it wouldn't work, because eventually somebody would do something stupid and then we'd respond. But maybe for a while, I don't know, maybe. But we, we're heading out to the world who has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not inside them. They have no God that they're serving. They don't respond to what the Bible says. They don't have that authority in their lives. And no, now Christians are expected to live a certain way when people are going to be doing all sorts of things. They're not going to be listening to these things. 
They're not going to be responding this way toward you when you try and respond that way toward them. You're going to be put in the most difficult circumstances imaginable. And I can guarantee you, if you take this seriously, and you say, I'm going to try and live this out in my life, you will be tested. It's going to happen. And so we're being called to something, a very high standard here by the Apostle Paul. To live out our faith in our culture. I want to give you two things that I think he's calling us to. Number one is non-legalistic obedience. Non-legalistic obedience, which to some almost seems like it doesn't make sense. At the heart of the gospel is this word, freedom. There's freedom in Christ. We were enslaved to sin. We were enslaved to the power of sin and the penalty of sin. And now in Christ, there is freedom. Until you read Paul's letter to whomever. And then you say, what, Paul? Freedom? This doesn't look like freedom. You just told me that I have to do this and this and this, and I can't do this and this and this. I thought you said there was freedom in Christ. You know what the truth is? Paul demonstrates an aversion to the legalist in, in all of his letters. He never wants someone to, to live as a legalist who is obeying commands with the goal of receiving the favor of God by obedience. Nobody merits grace. Nobody merits favor with God themselves. And so Paul never commands that. He never expects that. He preaches against that constantly. But there is a difference between the obedience that legalism would call you to and the obedience that we're called to as we live out the gospel in our lives. So here are the two differences. Number one, it's the reason for our conduct, our motivation. The marked difference between living for approval and living as one who is approved and loved by God. We don't live our Christian lives because we're trying to, to live up to a standard. We've recognized that that's impossible, that we've fallen far short of that. We live our Christian lives because we fell so short of that and we experienced such incredible grace, such love that went to a cross and bore our shame and our punishment and our guilt. And now we look to that cross and we say, how can I not love the one that loved me like that? How can I not be grateful? How can I not be thankful for that kind of love? And so we live as one who is already approved, already accepted in the beloved. And so obedience in Christ, it means just living out a life of gratitude for what he's done for you. Loving him because he first loved you. The second thing that is different about legalistic obedience compared to um, gospel-centered obedience is the depth of one's behavior. Legalistic obedience is concerned about the outside. It's concerned about how the actions appear and how they look and making sure that that every T is crossed and every I is dotted. This is not about outward actions. This is a matter of the heart. Christ is constantly pointing us to the heart. And, and we recognize that if we get the heart right, then good fruit comes out. But it's interesting, in the parable of the vine and the husbandman, Christ as the vine and us as the branches, we went through that with our teenagers on, on Friday. When we look at that parable you are never commanded to bear fruit. 
That's not part of it. You are commanded to stay in the vine. You are commanded to stay close to him, to be plugged into that source of nutrients. And if you will do that, if you will stay close to God, if you'll walk with him every day, if you'll be in the word, if you'll read um, to, to grow, not just to do your daily reading, but to actually get something from it and want to know who God is and want to know what he has for you in your life. If you'll pray as if he's there and he's your God and he's listening, if you'll be connected to the vine, then fruit happens. It just happens naturally. It has to. And so it's a matter of the heart. And that's the difference. We have freedom. Why? Because now we're free to live a life that's not, it's not enslaved to a law and it's not enslaved to our sin. It's now free to serve and love and obey Christ. Now our actions, it's not just, man, I'm putting on a good show. I've got this wonderful facade. Every person here thinks I'm just this fantastic Christian. Now our obedience is, I don't, I don't honestly, I don't care what you think. It doesn't matter to me. I care what he thinks. I'm trying to live out my love for him. And so we are expected to have non-legalistic obedience. Can you imagine an interaction between a mother, a father, and a daughter? Where the daughter walks into the room and says, Mom, I hate you. What does the father say? A lot of fathers would say, don't ever say that again. Okay? Don't ever say that again. Well, she shouldn't say it again. Probably wasn't nice to say in the first place. But the problem is, it hasn't penetrated the source, the heart. Why did they say that? What was, what was the heart behind what was said? How, how is it that you, as someone who is a blood-bought sinner, recognizing that you have um, disobeyed the commands of a perfect and holy God, can, can now hate someone like that? Paul would say, Christ died for you, a wretched sinner who broke the laws of an almighty God. You shook your fist at him, and his response was to send his only son to die for you. In light of this amazing love and forgiveness, don't say something so cruel and unkind to your mother. It goes way beyond just the action. It goes way beyond just the outward. It gets to the heart. Then he'd pull up a leather sofa, and he'd say, now let's talk about your feelings about your mother. Probably wouldn't do that. Maybe you would. I don't know. Um, do you know it's very easy to obey the government legalistically? It is. Really easy because you have to, but you're just doing it because you have to. There's, there's no heart involved. There's no, I'm trying to please Christ. There's no, I'm submitting to, to this authority as I, as I would submit to Christ. It's very easy to speak evil of authorities. We do it often. We say slander, we say things that aren't true, we pass things on that we don't know to be true. In a country like ours, nobody really cares when you slander authority. It's expected. It's the norm. It, there's not going to be some kind of terrible punishment for that kind of behavior. And so we do what we need to do in order to not suffer consequences. And the gospel calls us to so much more than that. It calls us to have the, a right attitude toward those authorities. It calls us to obey them as you would obey Christ. So number one, non-legalistic obedience. Number two, self-control and humility. I think that every passage that I look at recently seems to scream this to me. God's trying to say something to me. 
self-control, and humility. Every situation that I've seen would work out better if people had self-control and humility. If we could have parties come together and, and just be humble, not make it about themselves, it would be so much better, more beneficial. It would be so much more progress, light, not heat and fighting. Beneficial interactions between believers have always had these character traits attached to them. And when we go out into the world, we're going to face people that they're not going to respond that way. But I can guarantee, if you want to know how am I supposed to be different, right? We're called to be a peculiar people. How am I supposed to be different in my society? Start doing this. Start practicing self-control and humility when you deal with people. It's not normal. It'll be shocking. An anti-authority attitude shouts pride. It's an unwillingness to obey even an outward obedience um, with slander and complaints. It's what we often do. It's just arrogance. I love the verses that were read this morning in the worship team. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 2-4 to four says, There is none holy as the Lord, there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. So you got the picture. We're talking about how awesome and how great God is. There is none like him. And as a result of that, talk no more exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Stop being so arrogant. Why? Because God knows. Because by him, your actions will be weighed. So it doesn't even matter what anybody else thinks. It's about pleasing him. There's nobody like him. You're not God. And so be humble and walk humbly. Don't be proud or arrogant. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumble are girded with strength. And I just love this picture of who God is. That he takes those who have their bows drawn and who think they're so powerful and they're ready to defend themselves, and he breaks them. But those that are stumbling and falling and and, and struggling, those are the ones that he lifts up with strength. That's the kind of God that God is. We can go out through our lives defending ourselves, being right. I love to be right. I hate being wrong. But if I want to live my entire life with this idea that, hey, I'm always right. Nobody can tell me anything. That's how it's going to work for me. I'm going to, I'm going to keep button heads with God. That's what's going to happen. If I say, I'm going to walk humbly, I'm going to try and not think I'm always right, try and get rid of some of that pride and arrogancy, and just, when necessary, let God fight my battles, how much, how much better will, would our lives be if we could just get to that point? We trusted God more than ourselves. Titus chapter 2, verse 15. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. We have the authority to say, listen, Christian, you ought to be living this way. You ought to be gentle. You ought to be kind. You ought to be humble. You ought not be speaking of evil of men. Be meek. We have the authority to do this. So what I'm going to recommend to you, because Pastor said something this morning, that's, it's, really, it's really true. We have a problem with um, seeing ourselves 
clearly. We have no self-awareness. And this is true sometimes spiritually as well. That's why David prayed the prayer, God, search me and know me and, and see the wicked way in me and let me walk in your path. Because he, he prays that prayer because he knows that, that we can't see ourselves often. So this is what I'm going to recommend to you. If you say, you know what, I, I do want to practice true obedience, not legalistic obedience, but I want to live obediently for Christ. Um, and I would really like to practice more self-control and humility in my life. If that's you, I'm going to recommend you find somebody that will tell you the truth and then go through this list. Titus chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Go through those, sorry, Titus 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. Go through those verses with someone that loves you and will tell you the truth and do everything you can to let them speak the truth to you without being self-defensive, without reacting, without being angry. And see if there's any chance that you have to work on one of those things. Because my, my thought is, it's not if, it's which ones. It's not, it's not, is there a chance I need to work on this? It's which ones do I really need to work on the most? That's what I'm going to recommend you do. Take these character traits. They're not randomly selected out of a hat. This is not just, yeah, I'm going to throw these ones at that, them this week. This is the character of our God. And if we want to be like Christ, we need to be to live in, living these things out. And so, that's my part. This is God's word. This is what he says. And I guess the rest is, is up to all of us. Are we going to obey what the word of God says? Let's pray.